Welcome to the More Equity Podcast by Harlem Capital. Harlem Capital is an early stage, diversity-focused venture capital fund based in New York. We're on a mission to invest in 1,000 diverse entrepreneurs over the next 20 years. Thank you for following our journey and now on to the podcast. Crypto, NFTs, and decentralized finance are the buzzwords these days. Many believe the world of crypto will change everything. At the same time, respected investors and institutions remain speculative. I'm your host, Lizbeth Nunez, a fall intern at Harlem Capital. In our Crypto Convo series, we'll be talking to investors and innovators who have found great opportunity amongst the uncertainty. In this episode, we're joined by Erican Obote Tukuro, founder and general partner of Audacity, a crypto venture fund investing in untapped markets globally that will shape the next hundred years. Erican is also the co-founder and president of Crypto for Black Economic Empowerment. Listen in to hear Erican's journey to launching Audacity and her passion for investing in African crypto startups. Erican, welcome to the Harlem Capital Podcast. We are so glad to have you here and thrilled to get to know your story and a little bit more about what you're working on. But want to start us off by getting to know a little bit about your background. So where did you grow up and what are some aspects that you love about the community that you grew up in? Hi, everybody. It's so cool to be here. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much to the family over at Harlem Capital Partners. So I grew up in Rancho Cucamonga, California. And if you saw the movie Next Friday, that is where uh, the family moves to in the suburbs. And uh, I went to Etiwanda High School. Shout out to Etiwanda. And I believe that my experience at Etiwanda was one of my most fondest memories um, because it was truly a school that was diverse. And this is, listen, this is years before the diversity conversation was just everywhere in every single aspect of pop culture and certainly business in corporate America. Um, but that's really what I grew up around. I grew up around Vietnamese families. I grew up around Korean families, Nigerian families, Ghanaian families, Ethiopian families, Black American families, folks who've been in the United States for generations and years. So all I knew was to have a, a good concoction of flavor of so many different types of cultures around me. My mom worked um, at the cafeteria. She managed cafeterias across Southern LA and East LA. And uh, she and I would drive every single morning for my during my earlier years from Rancho Cucamonga on the freeway, three hours driving each way. My mom would wake up at like 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. to drive to L.A. every single morning. And I really learned a lot of dedication um, from her and that and just perseverance. And you just you get the job done. But I would join her on those journeys. And so we would go to different neighborhoods around my community in Rancho Cucamonga and um, pick up some of her team members. And a lot of her team members were predominantly um, uh, Latinas. And so I, from all over Latin America. And so I got to hear Spanish a lot coming up. And I would go to parts of LA where there was a lot of rich 
um, in this particular case, Mexican expression and cultural identity, but just even Central American um, diversity. And so that became a key part of what I aspired towards in college and even in high school where I, I wanted to learn Spanish really badly and all those things because I was around so much of that. So my community just growing up was one where culture was rich and community was the fabric of our coming together. And so I learned early on the assets that were rich within communities and cultures. Wow. And hats off to your mom for, for teaching you shout that perseverance. Oh, always shout out Listen. to the moms, right? They do too much. You, have to. <laughs> you know, in September, you interviewed with Carla Harris. And Carla is a very powerful voice on Wall Street. And one of the things that I really admire about her is her authenticity in bringing her whole self to the boardroom. And she talks about how in the beginning, she didn't want to tell people that she was a singer because she was afraid that they might make a judgment about her ability to work based on just the fact that she was a singer. You are um, also somewhat of an artist yourself. Tell us a little bit about the arts that you're into and whether you've been sort of able to marry those interests into your professional life. Shout out to these questions. Thank you so much for, for allowing me to share more of myself in this way. I really appreciate it. Um, yes, first of all, I just, I am so grateful for the woman of Carla Harris and she knows that. And I think it was so meaningful for me to see somebody who embraced having artistic talents and to be dynamic and still be a leader in the global economy and be a leader in um, communicating what leadership looks like in Wall Street and in New York and in the banking industry. So. Um, was so inspired by her and literally have studied her videos. And I just recently was watching one of her videos um, for the last six years because I just really respect how much she's empowered so many people. For me, I've identified with a lot of arts. I, I identify officially as an artist in finance. And very early on, I started to dance and I did gymnastics for a while. I also started playing the clarinet when I was eight or nine and took it very seriously and eventually learned the violin and the saxophone and the flute. And I went on tour when I was 16 across Spain, Switzerland and France. And we did like, you know, sometimes multiple concerts, multiple cities in a day. When I went to France for the first time, it was the first country I ever went to outside of the United States. And I would sing, um, I used to sing Tina Turner's Proud Mary for many hundreds of people. And people would say, encore, encore. I was just like, wow, you mean that by me dancing and singing and playing the clarinet and the soprano sax during my solos, that can get me applause and that could get me fanfare where if I were to go back to the United States, people wouldn't just willingly, that was my perception at the time, that, that people wouldn't willingly do that. I would have to fight more to be seen. And I just was like, there's something about being abroad. There's something about leaving the US. There's something about being free elsewhere. Singing Proud Mary is, it's not an easy song to sing, and it's one that you have to kick off with a lot of passion from the very oh, beginning. You gotta um, have that flavor. Which, you know, <laughs> something that has stuck out about you really is, is your passion, the passion that you bring into everything that you do. And, and a lot of that has, I have to imagine, been shaped by your background. What has been your journey to launching Audacity? And can you tell us what is Audacity? Yes, the journey to audacity. 
Hold on your seatbelts, everybody. Um, Audacity is a crypto venture fund that invests in the earning economy, which establishes that the new generation of the internet is being built right now. And this internet is going to pay you to build it. You will earn assets, earn crypto, earn wealth for sheerly participating on the internet. And within that thesis, we're especially excited about three categories. One, entrepreneurs that are of Black or African descent that are building for multi-trillion dollar markets. And two, companies globally that see the benefit and opportunity to scale and expand across Africa as the fastest growing crypto market in the world, hence the future of the internet. And three, companies that are building around culture with an intention to allow that culture to be the biggest on-ramp for the next 1 billion, 2 billion, 5 billion users. And then thinking about how aspects of crypto like decentralized finance can be the sort of wealth accelerator on the back end of crypto as, uh, excuse me, culture as the main on-ramp and interface for the global majority. So that's Audacity. We invest in checks up to 100K and um, are preparing to launch so many more new things. But how did I get to that? And how did I get to this point of thinking about multi-trillion dollar markets and um, you know, culture as a, as a key anchor for onboarding billions of users into the crypto internet? Um, there's a few things that I'll say. And I had a dear friend of mine, her name is Maya Horgan. She was just starting a, a venture firm, a now venture firm called Ingressive. And she was hosting a tour of African um, interested investors in Lagos, Nigeria. So I chose to get on a one-way ticket to Nigeria with the intention that I would go to Nigeria participate in this tour, do a bunch of other like Africa tech ecosystem things and like go on a tr journey traveling across West Africa and explore the financial opportunities across Africa. And um, when I got there, mind you, this is also in 2015, which is the beginning stages of one of the most important periods in West African history as it relates to the tech ecosystem, because this was like around the era of Africa rising and everybody was talking about how Africa is the future and every person in the diaspora, aka a child of either African immigrants or the African continent when I was back in New York was talking about like, oh, we all got to move to Africa. Like it's time. we got to build tech. We got to build the Uber of Nigeria. We got to build the Amazon. Like everybody was just like all the stuff that's moving in the tech ecosystem in, in New York and San Francisco. We got to bring that to Africa. So I was like, I was down for it. So when I went to Lagos, I got two job offers in a week. And I was just committed that this was going to be the rest of my life. And then um, and a, a, a re the recession hit. Um, and this is a recession that Nigeria is still dealing with today. And um, it was the first time that I saw uh, my sort of excitement and enthusiasm kind of like evaporate because I saw what happens when you have a currency, you have an economy, you have a country that's um, the most oil rich of the African continent, AKA it has a lot of money, um, but be very constrained by geopolitical decisions related to that oil and the impact of that shrinkle down onto the average person in Lagos, Nigeria. And Lagos is one of the most vibrant, bustling parts of the world. I, people say, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. That's nonsense. If you can make it in Lagos, I swear to you, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> 
So um, as a result, there's a lot of hustle. There's entrepreneurship bustling out of every single corner. Everybody's hustling. Everybody's trying to go and get it. It's a beautiful environment to be around. But when things get bleak and opportunity seizes and things just look like they're going to get harder ahead, it can turn into a challenging environment to be in. And I observed that. I watched the decline happen in just a short period of months. And I realized at that time that something needed to happen differently with the way that these economically resource rich intellectual capital rich parts of the world they needed a different economy they didn't needed a different financial system because we couldn't have all these riches and still be in a recession devaluing currency and then the community of people that live here awesome amazing hearted people are led to sort of just like you know scramble to survive like that should not be the outcome that shouldn't be the equation so i decided to leave nigeria i kind of didn't have a choice shout out to my best friend tiffany wong she bought me a one-way flight back to new york because i had no more money i was broke as a joke y'all <laughs> and so i got back to new york and at the time i started hosting events um my brother was just like, if you want to do this Africa thing, if you want to transform the global sort of capital flows, if you want to do this thing, you need to lock in a solid job and communicate to these people that you have what it takes and that you've been through some some interesting challenges in the world and that shows your grit and that shows your ability to hustle and shout out to my brother. I will love him always for that pep talk. And so I started hosting events in New York. He also is the co-founder of a co-working space in New York City called Alley. At the time, it was called Alley NYC, and it was a congregation place for a lot of multicultural entrepreneurs in New York City at the time. And it was really a vibrant home in Mecca, especially for cultural expression amongst entrepreneurs. And so he was gracious to open up the space for me, and I just started hosting events of like, like predominantly Black people who had great ideas, who were artists, who were just amazing thinkers. And the event series was called Kin. And at the time, I just wanted to, I had very little money. I was even some cases like couch surfing on friends' couches because things were just that rough. But I knew that if I just congregated Black people together and we just got to see how smart we are amongst each other, we could regain a sense of what community can mean for us as the enabler to our success. And so those events were really cool and people loved them and demand for them grew in New York City. And we started having multiple types of events and we started partnering with other people. And some amazing people came to those events, including some LinkedIn employees. And so I noticed that, you know, LinkedIn is actually a key part at the time um, of this my social media and internet usage. I wasn't using all the other platforms as much as I was using LinkedIn because LinkedIn was where I was trying to apply for new jobs to get my life going now that I left Nigeria. And so when I saw LinkedIn people um, kind of come up to me and be like, I work at LinkedIn, I love your event called Ken. I'm like, yo, I'm trying to be at LinkedIn, so what's good? Like, what are we gonna do? <laughs> and <laughs> they were like, well, come over to, come to the office. I was like, you can feed me. Listen, I will find myself at your office. Where do I show up? And so I eventually went to LinkedIn and met all these great people and they were just like we're going to help you get a job here Eric. And, and i just felt so grateful and the job that i ended up getting i still had to fight for it because i actually got rejected and denied but i went through the back door and i emailed direct messaged a bunch of people including my future boss and i was just like here are all the reasons why i'm gonna work hard and add value to your team and and she essentially picked my call she gave me a call and eventually within three weeks despite being rejected i got the job offer 
And the job was for um, helping finance executives across asset management, hedge funds, private equity and venture capital. It was to help them build their brands on LinkedIn, to help them communicate to a larger client base on this large professional network why different people should you know manage their money at this firm or become an insurance client here or you know get their accounting services handled here or or it helped private equity firms kind of see where c-suite movements were happening across their particular industry and vertical um, i had the great opportunity to service some really really big names um, in the hedge fund world and i went to hedge fund offices in midtown and got to really see what it means for a hedge fund to mul manage multiple billions of dollars. And I had dinners with asset management CMOs and, I, and they talked to me about how much challenge and struggle they were having with infusing culture into their asset management firm. And I remembered looking around the dinner table like, y'all don't know culture? Like, what you mean? Like, how do you live in the world and don't know culture? And I just, that was the light bulb moment that I eventually had in saying like, okay, I've gone this far, you know, I've gone from healthcare, I've gone from tech, I went to Nigeria to try and like, you know, do for my continent and do that whole thing. I'm now here in New York. I'm literally in a small side room in a restaurant in New York City with some of the biggest asset management C-suite telling me that they need to figure out how to get culture. How do we get culture, Eric Ann? And I just was like, if y'all don't know culture, then I'm gonna go build it. And I just remembered being like, wow, if they don't know it, then I could go try and build it myself. And I know that's crazy to be like, girl, how the heck are you gonna build an asset management firm and not know a darn thing about it? <laughs> and so I don't know, I'm just crazy that way, I guess. And so long story short, I ended up leaving LinkedIn and going on a journey around the world for a year and a half. Um, and I just, I didn't have a lot of money, but I, I, at this point I had proven to myself that I could live well below my means and experience the world and spend and splurge on flights that would give me life-changing experiences that would teach me a lot. So I lived in Thailand, I lived in Nigeria, I traveled to Cuba, I went to Sweden, um, I went to China and Singapore, and I just crashed every business conference that I could. I, you know, acted like I was invited and I approached ambassadors and ministers of finance when I was in Singapore and they would ask me, Eric, how do we get to Africa? How do we get to Africa? How do we get to Africa? And I'm like, y'all don't know. And they're like, no, Eric, and I'm just like, you all don't know that I am like young and barely know how all of the things that you all are doing work. But like you, I'm hearing a gap. I'm hearing that you all need to figure out how to do business across Africa. And at that point in time, I had been at advising a number of startups um, in Nigeria, some of which have now celebrated multi-billion dollar successes, which I'm so proud of those amazing friends of mine who've gone the distance in that time of Nigeria that I expressed and withstood all of the sort of intensity that Nigeria really tests in its entrepreneurs and have now emerged as unicorns that can set the example for other bright minds across the continent. And so after that year and a half, I decided that I was ready um, to start my own firm. And I had enough relationships. I had a lot of connections with political leaders, um, ministers, uh, other venture capitalists that I was also helpful in helping them sort of get off the ground. So I had the experience of what it meant to, to be inside a venture firm. Obviously it helped to know people like some of the guys at Harlem Capital Partners in their earlier days to know what those 
founding days look like. So at this point, I felt like I can kind of piece together these different playbooks. I also knew a lot of entrepreneurs because I hosted those events with Ken. So I, I knew how to bring entrepreneurs into the same space and I knew how to um, also talk to the financiers, to the asset managers, the hedge funds, the private equity, the venture capital. So I was just like, at this point, I can piece all these things together, even though you know my track record may not suggest that I have this uh, perspective. And so essentially, um, how did I properly get into crypto? I would say was, um, I just like late last year, I reconnected with a friend from college named Kai, and we just started talking about the need for black people in particular to get into crypto because this will be the greatest wealth creation opportunity for us in history. And, um, you know, he suggested that we build a community of people around crypto, black people in crypto. And I was like, you want me to build community? I can do that. I do that. No problem. And so um, he gathered a, a great group of people from our alma mater and a few outside of our alma mater together. And I eventually joined the group. And that group is called Crypto for Black Economic Empowerment, otherwise known as CBE also known as the Crypto Black Wall Street. So once this group came together within the first like two months of us existing, total like valuations of all the companies in this group was close to, you know, 150 to $200 million. And it just was clear at that time with the support of so many amazing people in that group that I should go out and raise a fund to invest in these entrepreneurs and also the entrepreneurs of so many more outside of this community that would come as more black people, more communities of color would come into crypto. So we also had a milestone in this community in helping um, an amazing artist named Micah Johnson generate a million dollars in sales for his NFT Aku within the first minute of it being um, open to the market. So a million dollars in one minute also showed what the power of community and an aligned group of people around culture could do for wealth creation for members in that community. So that experience also generated a lot of deal flow for me that then all in all led to me launching Audacity. And overall, that's my journey into crypto and to just understanding how the value of my community is challenged and we need to have more resources, especially economically. Community is ultimately our greatest asset and our culture is what's undeniable that we can congregate around to create transformative opportunities for one another. And there's a lot that goes into launching a fund. You touched on some of it. You're not just writing checks. You're involved in a lot of the legal aspects, the fundraising aspect. Of course, it's very much a business in and of itself. You are an entrepreneur for those people who are wanting to launch a fund of their own. What are two helpful resources that helped you along your journey that are just publicly available for people to use? Okay, so Twitter is an undeniable resource. There are so many people on Twitter trying to make their dreams happen. And I'm one of those people and they have DMs. And so I encourage you to message people, um, your ideas. Maybe you have a friend who's building a great, really great business and you want to help your friend raise some capital. Maybe your friend's a bit gun shy or something like that. And you can just DM somebody like myself or Brandon or, or Kai or, um, you know, other VCs at A16Z or Sequoia or whatever it is and just say, hey, this is who I am. You know, I'm building something really great or uh, I see this company's doing some really amazing things. I'd love to, I'd love for you to check it out. And those things are helpful because 
Um, it can give you the confidence that if somebody responds to you, one, that could give you a lot of confidence. Two, if somebody's like, yo, this is a really cool company, can you introduce me to the people behind it? Now you're starting to like build your muscle of doing the job that you need to do for the entrepreneurs. Um, and then in terms of other resources for like the more back office specific things um, and just like the operational stuff, I would say Carta has a lot of great resources and many other companies like Carta that help fund managers get adjusted to all of the sort of nuances of setting up a fund. Um, there's a lot more to be written, certainly for a crypto fund. That's another podcast episode for sure. Um, and admittedly, we are more of a DAO-like venture firm than we are a traditional firm. Um, and we are increasingly going to continue to expand to be um, a crypto native investment vehicle. And that welcomes and ushers in a lot of differences that not tradition, not all traditional investors are used to or want to participate in. Um, but we've had a lot of interest and a lot of um, excitement. So not not as much of an issue, but it does it does turn some people away and it excites others. So being aware of that element is a bit of a nuance that I'll say to anybody thinking about a crypto fund and hopefully maybe Audacity can communicate some resources for folks. And the third thing, I think you might've asked for two things, but the third thing I would say is whatever resource you love that keeps your mind at peace. And I say that because being an entrepreneur is hard. And if you're doing it solo, it can be even harder. So I really just wanna encourage anybody that's going on their entrepreneurial journey, especially if they're gonna launch a new financial institution to surround yourself with the love and the peace of mind and whatever resources, be it therapy or YouTube videos or cat memes, whatever, cat TikToks, whatever gets you sort of like releasing stress is probably a good thing to keep you um, in the game for a long time. Speaking of Twitter, one of our Twitter followers asked the question, what criteria do you believe is specific to crypto investments compared to other investments? Or rather, how do you evaluate the viability of a crypto project? Oh, yeah, this is a fun question. So generally, there are a few more things that um, we have to look at at Audacity in order to pass our due diligence process. So it includes uh, a tech due diligence. So um, we have to really ensure that beyond the idea or the dream that you're t you or your team are technically competent and being, being able to build the infrastructure of what's required of your idea. Um, because essentially crypto and blockchain is, you know, a lot of code and a lot of things that if not adequately taken care of can have security breaches and all sorts of things that are problematic in that regard. So definitely wanting to do a tech stack, knowing what kind of blockchain you're building on, if you're building your own blockchain, what's your plan, what's your strategy, what's the code look like. So that's like a huge one. A second one is your um, security uh, protection. So what are you doing to make sure that your clients are safe, your users are safe, you all are safe and not having, you know, hacks and things that warrant um, uh, like problems in the future and then what are your legal protections so what have you done or how are you hustling hard as we all all trying to hustle and find the best lawyers to evolve at the pace that crypto is moving at and then um there are a few other things but the most important thing to me specific to audacity is if i don't feel like people in my community of rancho cucamonga would benefit and or use what you're creating then it's usually a no for me 
if I don't feel like the communities that I've lived in and been around in Brazil are going to connect or benefit from what you're building, then it's usually a no for me. If I feel like I couldn't walk into a minister's office and celebrate the impact of what you're creating and the you know capital that you're generating and the, and the trillions of dollars that you're influencing on a macro geopolitical business level, then it's a no for me. And these things are important because we are saying that we're targeting multi-trillion dollar markets. And I went on a journey around the world so I can trace where those multiple trillions move. And a lot of those multiple trillions move in ways that are completely outside of the purview of traditional Euro-American um, prioritization of capital flows and economic trends. So I want to make sure Audacity is investing in the people that have a deep understanding of how money moves across emerging markets, overlooked communities, overlooked asset classes that most people, it's not as sexy to have a deep understanding of, but for me, I know is the 99 percentage of the global population, all 8 billion of us, and truly where I think the long-term upside, long upside is. So important. Part of your thesis is that DeFi in emerging markets, especially Africa, is going to transform the next 100 years. What are the particular attributes about Africa that have convinced you of that? Absolutely. So um, today, African markets are the fastest growing crypto adopters around the world. Uh, Nigeria being the, the leading and Kenya being the next. And this is indicative of the population. Nigeria in particular has a 200 million person population and the entire African continent, gentle reminder, which is 54 countries. And if you include the global black diaspora is 55, um, includes the youngest population in the world by 2030. So uh, prioritizing Africa in general for any investor is, is a no-brainer in my opinion. And if you're choosing not to prioritize Africa, you're choosing to be behind. And um, decentralized finance is important because we take for granted in the United States how 400 years of Wall Street and finance and all of the big names that run the banks today have contributed to the financial infrastructure of the country, which has essentially become the beacon for the global economy. And many countries across Africa, all 54 of them, don't have that same level of thoroughness and infrastructure. So there's a lot to build, and that means a lot of upside. At the same time, the African continent and many countries across the African continent are the beginning of the global supply chain. If you think about cocoa, AKA your chocolate from Hershey's during your Christmas celebrations, your special uh, winter holidays, your Valentine's days, all those chocolates, a lot of them come from um, parts of Africa, your favorite coffees, a lot of that comes from Ethiopia and certain parts of um, Africa, your favorite technology, the Teslas that we're celebrating with trillion dollar valuations, a lot of the power that is required to turn on our favorite innovations, including the blockchain, requires a battery. And a battery does not operate without the element cobalt. And the world's largest supply of cobalt comes from the heart of Africa. And so if we're not thinking about incorporating the blockchain and incorporating crypto into all of these different multi-trillion dollar global supply chains, then we're really doing the entire planet a disservice. And the person and the entity and the firms that really do prioritize that will benefit immensely for the next hundred years. So we just believe that 
So long as more people um, do or don't interact with these parts of the world, it doesn't matter. We know because personally, my own experience in traveling to 24 countries around the world and studying multi-trillion dollar global supply chains, I have a deep understanding of where the opportunity is, not only across decentralized finance, not only across this rich youth population, not only across Nigeria and Kenya, but across 54 countries, definitely see where the upside is and see how that upside is connected to Latin America and the Caribbean and Asia, and of course, in uh, North America and Europe. So in understanding just supply chain, the pace of innovation being in Nigeria in 2015, where we didn't have unicorns and the people that I was in those coffee shops with are now people that are celebrating unicorn status um, and raising multiple hundreds of millions of dollars of rounds for their companies. It's just a sign that this is just the beginning. So I, I'm excited that Audacity exists to really prioritize the crypto future for the African continent, tapping into this young population, trapping into the burgeoning creator economy that is exploding through Afrobeats and film like Nollywood and Black Panther and so many others. It's just that I could talk for days about all of the innovation that has yet to be created that is literally open sea, that is ripe for all serious investors who wanna really see long-term multi-century upside. Certainly a lot of opportunity in Africa and something that we've been thinking about a lot here at Harlem Capital. How can people follow you or Audacity to learn more? Absolutely. So essentially, you all can head to our website at audacity.fund and drop your email at the button that says join the community. You can join our community, which is soon to launch. We're launching all the fun things like the discords and the newsletters and all those great things that are part of what originally got us here um, in building community uh, many years ago. And so you can go to audacity.fund, drop your email there, and also find us on Twitter at audacity underscore fund. You can also find us on LinkedIn, and very soon you'll be able to find us on Instagram where we'll be taking you to multiple parts of Africa. So we are headed to Ghana, to Nigeria, and to Rwanda. And we are going to make sure you are right there with us. And you can find me across all social media platforms at Harrykan, H-E-Y-E-R-I-K-A-N. Harrykan, thank you again for being part of this podcast. And we are so excited to see what you continue to accomplish. Appreciate it, y'all. Thanks so much, HCP. Y'all are the best. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to learn more, subscribe to the More Equity podcast on Apple and Spotify. You won't want to miss the other episodes in our Crypto Convo series. To stay connected to all things Harlem Capital, be sure to also follow us on Twitter and subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for learning along with us. Until next time.